Amen. I tell you, my cup is full. Wonderful choir, music, the hymns, that offertory. We could almost go home, couldn't we? <laughs> We're not, but I mean, we almost could. I invite your attention to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, we'll start there in just a moment. I concluded a series of 1 Thessalonians, whatever church should be. And today, I'm going to speak on the mystery of the church. I actually had another message lined up, but last night as I was studying it and preparing it, see, I'm old-fashioned. I write my messages out by hand, Amen. and then I give it to my secretary to type it so I can read it. And then we download it onto my iPad, and my iPad's been acting up a little bit. So, uh, But last night I was thinking, I said, Lord, I just feel I need to go this direction to speak about the church again, because I love the church, and I know you do too, by you, of course, being here. I certainly have enjoyed the Sunday school hour with Brother Ed Richards as well. Amen. This morning he was talking about grandparents and great-grandparents. And yesterday, we got to FaceTime our granddaughter and see a little uh, great-granddaughter, McKenna, that's about six weeks old and so precious. Now, Brother Carson, two years old, was in timeout. <laughs> Carson has picked up a new phrase. When mom and dad asked him to come to the dinner table or for him to come and take his bath, he says, no, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. So he was in timeout, but we got to see him as well. And family is precious. Family is precious. And a church family is precious. You're, we're going to see that today as we go through the message. The mystery of the church. You know, we live in a world of unsolved mysteries. I mentioned the Bermuda Triangle. The western part there of North Atlantic Ocean. Planes and boats that will go into this area and mysteriously disappear. They have a record of over 16 ships and 16 planes that, that has happened. And I think that human nature draws us to mysteries. We know the stories of Sherlock Holmes. Some of you may know the stories of Agatha Christie. When I was a young boy, young, young, used to read Hardy Boys. How many remember Hardy Boys? And the girls read Nancy Drew. Yeah, my wife said Red Hardy Boys, okay. <laughs> but on television, there, there was a lawyer. And every week, the real killer was revealed at the end of the show. It was always under withering examination by Perry Mason. Least expected, they'd be on the stand and they would confess every week. I don't know how they did that, but that's, that's what happened. Well, the Apostle Paul, we're going to find here, is a mystery writer. But it's not a mystery writer in the sense of fiction, like John, uh, John Grisham or anyone like that. In fact, the Apostle Paul used the word mystery 20 different times. Now, the Greek word mysterion, it means unrevealed truth now revealed. Unrevealed truth that now has been revealed. Join me if you would please. Ephesians chapter 3 verse number 1. 
those that are physically able, I encourage you to stand with me out of the honor and reading of God's word. Once again, I will read the odd verses. I ask you to join me reading out loud on the even verses. Ephesians 3, verse 1. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I write afore in few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it's now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body, partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of grace of God, given unto me by the effectual working of his power, Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. To the intent now, unto the principalities and powers and heavenly places might be known by the church the manifest wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Our Father, we pray that you'll add to the reading of your word and as already has been shared that any words that escape my mouth that you would bless and you would use. I pray for those that are members of this church that you would continue to encourage them. Help them to remain faithful during this transition. Thank you for the past 11 weeks of my wife and Beverly and I to be able to be here and to fellowship with them and to teach your word. And we do pray for Brother Bertram as he continues to consider as a candidate of coming to preach here again. And Lord, the church given that opportunity to embrace and follow perhaps their next pastor. I pray for visitors that are with us today. I pray that they would have been felt welcome, that they would learn, and that we all would benefit from the preaching of your word. Lord, we thank you for Brother Wyatt, little Wyatt being back in church here today. We're thankful for that family. Would you watch over us now? We commit the remainder of this time to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Go ahead and be seated. First of all, we're going to see the mysteries been revealed here. Verses 1 through 6, talking about the church. And once again, I point out to you, the pastor is not the head of the church. The Lord Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. Hath put all things under his feet, gave him to be head over all things the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. If you were to read back through Ephesians chapter 2, you would see that there are three different groups that are mentioned that Paul speaks of. First of all, he speaks of all of mankind, all of sinful mankind. Then he also speaks about Israel, Israel being God's chosen people. But then we see where he focuses upon the church. 
in Ephesians 2.14. says, For he is our peace, who hath both won and hath broken down the middle wall of partition. There used to be a wall, a partition there in the temple. That was broken down between us. Having abolished in his flesh the enemy, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain, it says, one new man. So making peace. He's speaking about the spiritual people of God. You have the Jews. You have the Gentiles. That wall was going to be broken down and all could become one new man in Christ. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's what? A new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. But Paul spoke about something. He spoke about the dispensation, the age of grace, the church age. Aren't you thankful that we're not living under the dispensation of the law? Amen. Trying to keep 613 commandments. It was unbelievable what they had to go through. I'm so thankful that I live in the age of grace. I'm thankful that I live here right now in this church age. Do you know that Paul actually was a prisoner, his words, for the Gentiles, which is us. It tells us in Ephesians 3.1, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles. He was a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. He was a teacher of the Gentiles. And we're fortunate as we have this dispensation of grace. Ephesians 3.2 If ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to you were. What I mean when I speak about that word dispensation. That is a period of time. And it's how God deals with mankind. When the Bible speaks about these different periods of time, and I call them a dispensation, the first dispensation was the area of innocence. Remember Adam and Eve? They were placed into the garden. There was no evil there. There was no sin. It was a perfect environment. There was instruction given to them. We know that Eve broke that by eating of the fruit and giving it to her husband, and sin entered into the world. Never forget Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death hath passed upon all men. That, that opened up Pandora's box. That's why we have disease. That's why we have death. That's why we have accidents. That's why people get murdered. It, that's why sin entered into the world. But at first, it was the dispensations of innocence. That was the Garden of Eden. The second dispensation was the one of conscience. And that went from Adam and Eve all the way to Noah. God looks down. He sees the world as it's become evil, continual evil. He finds one righteous man. And what was his name? Noah. And Noah was given instructions to do what? To build the ark. How long did he spend building the ark? 120 years. And who was it that shut the door when he went into the ark? It was God. Who opened the door and told him to leave? It was God. So that's that second dispensation of conscience of Adam and Eve to Noah. The third dispensation is what we call human government. The people began to come together, and they decided they were going to build a tower. It's called the Tower of Babel. They were going to build it. They were going to 
put themselves up to the same height of a divine being. They were in charge. And so what did God do? He came down and he confused them. He gave them all different languages so they weren't able to communicate. Tower could not be built. So they had to leave. And that was the dispensation and disbursement, I mean, of where the different languages and the different races went. That was human government. The fourth one was the promise of the covenant with Abraham all the way to Moses. The fifth one was where Israel rejects their Messiah. He tells us in Genesis 12, 3, I will bless them that bless thee, curse him that curseth thee, and thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And then we have another dispensation. That's the one you and I are living in right now. It's called the age of grace. When does that end? Well, look with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We spent a lot of time speaking about the church, the future things. We spoke about the rapture. We know the word rapture is not used in scripture. We know rapture means to snatch away or to be caught up. I've mentioned in the many, many, many funerals that I've done, probably 99%, I have shared this portion of scripture. It's very important for us. This, this is the one that's going to end the age of grace or the church age. It ends with the rapture. 1 Thessalonians 4, 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, do you believe that? Yes. All right, we're getting ready to celebrate Easter. It's coming up. Even so them also which sleep or have died, and Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive remain unto the coming of the Lord, shall not prevent or proceed or go ahead of those which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And it says, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive Remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord up in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. And then here's this promise. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. We can be encouraged as we're living in the time in which we are. We know that one day it's going to come to an end. The trumpet's going to sound, the voice of the archangel, and we're going to be called up and to meet him in the air. Isn't that a wonderful promise that we can claim? But then that ushers in that seventh dispensation. And I spent time on that last week about the tribulation and eventually the millennial reign of Christ for a thousand years. So what is the mystery that I've been talking about? What mystery here is being revealed by the Apostle Paul? Let's go back to Ephesians 3. We have time. Look with me in verse number 4. Whereby, when you read, you may understand my knowledge and the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. God had a chosen people within the nation of Israel. But the nation of Israel rejects God. They reject Jesus as their Messiah. And so then that turned the gospel being shared with who? The Gentiles. 
And this mystery, remember what I said the mystery was? It's previously hidden truth that has been revealed. But it's not by human means, as the scripture teaches. It was revealed by the Holy Spirit and the perfect timing. See, God has always promised a redeemer. If you wish to look with me, look in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. To me, this is a phenomenal verse. What a wonderful promise. So God, in his foreknowledge, knew that man was going to sin. So he had to have a plan of redemption. And that plan of redemption was going to cost something. It was, it was going to cost Jesus his life. Because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. So God puts into place this plan of redemption. And ever since he put that plan of redemption in place, Satan has tried to stop it. He tried to kill all the infants. You remember when Jesus was born, he was trying to eliminate the Son of God, trying to stop that cross that Jesus was going to go to. We spoke about the temptations that Christ went through and Satan offering him the kingdoms of the world so he wouldn't have to go to the cross. He was trying to prevent that. Look with me in Genesis 3.15. And it says, and I will put enmity. That's, that's a division. That, that, that's, that's being against each other. An enmity between thee and the woman. Between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head. Thou shalt bruise his heel. When was Jesus' heel going to be bruised? When he was on what? The cross. But ultimately, Jesus Christ is going to crush the head of Satan. That's, that's the joy, really, of that verse. Never overlook that. Jesus is going to be bruised. And yes, on the cross, it is terrible. And he gives his life upon the cross. But ultimately, Satan is going to be defeated. So the Jews reject God and Jesus. And as a result, we have this mystery, this revelation, which is the church. Now go with me to Matthew 16. Matthew, you're familiar with this portion of scripture. Pastors teach on it often about the church, the foundation of the church, the starting of the church. Here's the presentation. Join me, Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, think of this. Jesus has been here upon the earth for 33 years. The last three years, he started his ministry. It's winding down now. He's soon to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's soon to go to the cross. He's soon going to die upon the cross. He's going to be buried. He's going to raise again. But people have been following him. And miracles had taken place. People have been healed. The dead had been raised. Multitudes have been fed. So what were the people saying who Jesus was? Verse 14, they said, some say thou art John the Baptist. Wait a minute, John the Baptist, what, had died? He'd already lost his head. So were they thinking of reincarnation? No, I don't think so. Notice the next. It said, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. It's one of the prophets. You, you, they've come back. He saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Can you say this? Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, 
the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood hath not revealed it. Remember, this mystery being revealed, it was not human knowledge, it's by the Holy Spirit revealed unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. I say also unto thee, thou art Peter. Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And that is true for Mountain Vista Baptist Church as well. It's going to stand. It's going to continue to move forward. God, God has placed this church here for a purpose. And whoever is the next pastor, and as you come alongside and you serve and work with him, this church is going to grow. There's phenomenal potential here. But there's a three-word picture of the church. First of all, it's the building. Jesus as the cornerstone. He said upon this rock himself. Peter is Petros, a little stone. But Jesus is a massive rock. Think of like the rock of Gibraltar, unmovable. Well, then the Bible also says the church is like a bride. Think back when you uh, first were married, your wedding day. What an exciting day it was. For me, I forgot the wedding license back at the motel. My brother had to go back. I didn't even pay the preacher. Can you believe that? Forgot to light the candles. You have all kinds of memories. Hopefully good, hopefully good ones, you know. We've been married now 51 years. The Lord has been very gracious. But Jesus is the groom. The church is the bride. What does a bride wear normally? A white dress. Signifying what? Purity. So we want the church to be pure. No wrinkles. In other words, we're not going to sit down. We're going to get up. We're going to keep moving forward. We're going to make, make sure that we're in unity together. We're going to make sure that, that we're a beautiful bride for the Lord Jesus Christ. Tells us 2 Corinthians eleven two. For I'm jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And then he tells us in Revelation 19, 7, let us be glad and rejoice. We do at weddings. They're, they're wonderful. We, we, we love a wedding. Give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. So we have the rock. We have the bride. But what I want to focus on, too, this morning is what I call the body. And that's, this is Mount Vista Baptist Church, the body. Ephesians 1, 22, 23 hath put all things under his feet, gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him that filleth in all. Colossians 1.18, he's the head of the body. Now what's the purpose of the church? Look with me in Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. Why, why do we have the church? Why, why do we get up each morning and, and come here some come early, then we have the wonderful Sunday school hour, and then we have a second service. And soon on Easter, there's going to be an early service, and then there's going to be brunch, and then there's going to be people sleeping in the second service. But <laughs> it's going to be okay. We're going to have a good time. What's the purpose of the church? Ephesians 1.12. That we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. And then verse 14. Which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise 
of his glory. All I'm saying is the church is for God's glory. Be careful that we don't adopt what I call a consumer mentality. In other words, of seeing what the church can do for me. Why don't we look at what we can do for the church? The gifts, the talents, the abilities, the finances, what God has blessed you with, what, what, what you can bring. Stay faithful. Don't quit. You know, the main purpose is to honor and to glorify him. But I have found today, in the years that I've been involved in ministry, that there are churches that are walking away from the Bible, and they're embracing cultural things, and as a result, we'll see what happens. Go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 4. 1 Samuel chapter 4. Yes, this is an Old Testament story. But I believe that the church is for his honor and for his glory. And we want to be careful that we would do nothing to diminish that glory. We want to be careful we would do nothing to grieve the presence of the Holy Spirit in our services. We want to be careful that we do bring him praise, glory, and honor. Because if we don't, Follow along with me, if you would. 1 Samuel chapter 4, we'll drop down to verse 11. What has happened, the nation of Israel has gone to war with the Philippines. And they became a little arrogant. They decided that if they would take the Ark of the Covenant with them as they went into battle, that surely God would be with them and the enemy would be defeated. Well, something else was taking place. Join me in verse 11. And the ark of God was taken by the Philistines. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were slain. There ran a man of Benjamin out of the armory and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes rent with earth upon his head. And when he came to Eli, sat upon a seat by the wayside watching for his heart trembled for the ark of God. As the priest, he was greatly concerned about it. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. When I, Eli heard the noise crying, he said, What meaneth the noise of this tumult? The man came in hastily and told Eli. Now Eli was ninety and eight years old. His eyes were dim that he could not see. The man said unto Eli, I am he that came out of the army. I fled today out of the army. And he said, What is there done, my son? The messenger answered and said, Israel is fled before Israel, the Philistines. There hath been also a great slaughter among the people. And thy two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of God is taken. Wow, the news that he's just received. Verse 18, it came to pass when he made mention of the ark of God that he fell down off the seat backward by the side of the gate. His neck break, he died. For he was an old man and heavy. He had judged Israel for 40 years. His daughter-in-law Phinehas, wife was with child, near to be delivered. When she heard the tidings that the ark of God was taken, that her father-in-law and her husband were dead. 
she bowed herself and travailed, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the woman that stood by her said unto her, Fear not, thou hast borne a son. But she answered not, neither did she regard it. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory is departed from Israel. May that never be said of this church, Ichabod, that the glory has departed. The ark of God taken, the husband killed in battle, father-in-law killed, Israel's defeated. She names her son Ichabod. The glory has departed. See, there are many churches, I believe, that have surrendered the truth. They're following the culture of the world. And they're definitely denying biblical concepts. Though we may not see it right there. It's like Ichabod. The glory has departed. There are churches that are having meetings, but the Holy Spirit's not there. Man-made things are going on, and it feels like it's real and it's good. But if the Holy Spirit doesn't show up, if God doesn't show up, nothing happens. But I remind you the price of the church, Acts 20, 28. Take heed there unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseas to feed the church of God. That's, that's the pastor's primary responsibility. And whoever comes, I pray that you afford the time and the energy that he needs to set aside to study, to prepare appropriately the right messages. Hath made to be overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased, it says, with his own blood. Ephesians 5.25, husband, love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church and what? Gave himself for it. That's the price that Jesus paid. So what Jesus did in exchange for you and I, then the church is worthy of our sacrifice and our commitment. Look with me in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. We're almost done here. Hebrews chapter 10. Drop down to verse 24. What can you do? How can you help? Well, take a moment, look around, and, and see if there's a church member maybe that isn't here. Now, if there's illness involved or they're working or they're out of town, we understand that. But there may be someone that's kind of cooled their jets a little bit, and they haven't been here for a while. What does the scripture teach us? Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider one another to provoke. That, that, that means to help, to encourage, to come alongside. Don't let someone drift away unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of son is, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching, that day of return of Christ, the rapture. So the church, for his honor, for his glory, for his praise. I am so thankful for this age of grace. I'm thankful to be part of this church age. And I'm so thankful for the church. One last verse. Would you go me to Psalms 27? Psalm 27. In verse 4. I mentioned after I became a Christian as a young 12, 13-year-old, my dad worked at the steel mill 
and often had to do shift work, wasn't always home to be able to take us to church on Sunday night or Wednesday night. So I'd go out front and stand under a, a lamp, a light, street light, and someone from church would come by and pick me up, take me to church. Sometimes it was the preacher himself that did that. So never overlook that kindness. It may seem small to you, but it impacted my heart and life greatly. And this, this is my plea. This, this is my desire right here. Psalm 27, 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. At our home church, we probably have 50, 60, what we call homebound, no longer able to come to church. And whenever I visit them and talk to them, they speak about the times that they were able to be in church. What I'm cautioning you on, please don't take this for granted. You never know when your time may come when you're unable to be here. But as long as the Lord gives me strength and energy, my desire is to be right here in church. And I hope it's your desire as well. I'm going to invite Amber to come and to play for us at this time. We're just going to bow our heads together for just a moment. And Many of you know John 3.16 that says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but what have everlasting life. You know the middle word of that verse is son. God gave his son to pay the price and the penalty for all of our sin. Those two thieves that were by Christ upon the day of crucifixion, one accepted him and he said today, not tomorrow, not next year, not some other time, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. His heart was black as sin. He was headed to hell. And God changed his heart and life by him believing on Christ. The other chose to reject him. His heart was black with sin as well. It most likely did go to hell. How are you today? See, while you're seated right there, maybe you could renew your commitment. Maybe you've become a little too casual about church. Now, no one else is looking around, but if you would like for me to pray for you, to say, Jim, would you pray for me? I know that Maybe I haven't been as fervent about my love for Christ and the church. I'd just like for you to remember me in prayer. If you would like for me to do that, would you just raise your hand? Many hands are raised here. This morning I gave the challenge about someone becoming a member and someone that had been attending here for five years stepped out, came forward, and joined the church. If you're here and you need to join the church, that you can use your gifts, your talents, your abilities for his honor and glory. Speak with someone after the services. And cement that decision to become involved here. But if you're here today and you've, you know what I'm talking about, but you've never really embraced Christ as Savior, you realize today that you have a need and you would like to pray and invite him to come into your heart. You can do that right where you're seated. And I'll lead you in prayer. You can say something like, Father, 
Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Save my soul. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for me. I trust you now as my personal Savior. See, the Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you did that, I pray that you would let me know after the service or let someone else know so we can rejoice with you. If you need to respond this morning, the altar's open as she is playing. Father, we truly love you. We thank you for the privilege of teaching and preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ and the freedom and liberty that I had this morning, this wonderful congregation that uh, with rapt attention and minimum, minimum distraction, I give you praise for that. I pray for each of those that raised their hand, that was honest and said, you know, I haven't maybe been as fervent about the things of the Lord as I should be. I pray you would help them and pray that as they made those things right within their own heart, you would bless them this coming week and that they truly would love you and love this church. I pray your protective hand here. We pray that your perfect will will be done as the church continues to move forward. Thank you once again for the privilege to be here this day. We'll thank you for these things in Christ's name. Amen. <laughs>